Hello! Welcome to Tay 2 z where we chat about every Taylor Swift song in alphabetical order. I'm Devin. And I'm Gab, and we will be your hosts on this journey. In our last episode, we talked about I Heart Question Mark from the Beautiful Eyes EP. I Heart Question Mark. Mmm, so good. And today, we are discussing the song I Knew You Were Trouble from Red, Taylor's version. Woo woo! I Knew You Were Trouble is the fourth track on Red, Taylor's version. Red was originally released on October 22nd, 2012, and Taylor's version was released on November 12th, 2021. This song was co-written by Max Martin and Shellback. Our guys. Our guys. (laughs) Our guys. This song has been performed by Taylor a whopping 200 times. Wow. She played it every night on both her Red and 1989 tours to very... Different performances. Oh, yes. Very different. She performed it twice on her Reputation Tour as a special song, and also at the City of Lover concert in Paris. She has also performed it at various award shows, as well as Victoria's Secret fashion shows. Yeah, a lot of press performances. So many. She has performed this so many times. Yes. Well, because it was a single. And it was a big hit. Yes. So I Knew You Were Trouble was Taylor's 50th Billboard Hot 100 entry, peaking at number two. Mm. She reached this landmark just six years and one month after the arrival of her first entry, Tim McGraw. With I Knew You Were Trouble, she became the fastest female performer to her 50th Hot 100 hit. Holy moly. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a lot of Hot 100 hits. She's had a lot more since then. (laughs) For sure. Well, we are very excited to show that we have a guest with us on this episode. We would love to introduce you to Gab's brother, Andrew, a music therapist and musician living in New Jersey. Andrew, welcome to Tay to Z. It's so great to be here. I've been really excited for this. Woo-hoo! It's also really exciting because this is our first in-person guest. Whoa! <laughs> I'm here right now. Well, we ask all of our guests about their Taylor history. So, Andrew, when did you first hear Taylor's music? And can you remember the first song you heard, and if you knew it was Taylor? Yes, so I think the first Taylor Swift song I ever heard was You Belong With Me. Mm -hmm. I'm aware of a lot of music as it comes out. I think also in 2012, I was probably still reading, like, print Rolling Stones. So, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. so I knew that there was this emerging artist, Taylor Swift. I mean, at the time, I think she was, you know sort of outside of my world. At that point, I was in my, fresh out of college, you know, mm-hmm. in my very indie folk kind of world. Although that's a world that she's in now. Exactly, so yeah. Right. I digress, but, so I, I knew that song from the radio. And then I think it's like red when I start really paying attention to mm-hmm. her. And it's this song, it's I Knew You Were Trouble and a, a few others that really hit me. I think, you know, Gab, I knew you were a fan. I don't think I was aware mm-hmm. during that period when everything that was happening was happening Mm. that this album meant all that much to you at the time it's around the time this album comes out that red comes out that i am beginning to my very long journey towards doing what i do now for a living Mm -hmm. i mean i was giving guitar lessons to some young people who were fans i definitely learned this song for the purposes of teaching somebody guitar and mm-hmm. oh, cool. wanted to play this yeah and then i can remember 1989 is when i really like got fully on board like where sure. i was like i said i'm a taylor swift fan you know <laughs> this is excellent and gab actually there was a time where i was in your car mm-hmm. i think we were just heading we were heading somewhere 
and you played me 1989. <laughs> and, like, you really, like, took me through it. And honestly, like, that was a formative moment for mm-hmm. me. And But I loved that that record really blew up. And yeah. there was, I mean, the singles were playing everywhere. It's like this... It's like born in the USA level, you know, like several yeah. songs on the radio all the time. Right. You know, and from there, I had basically a mentality about Taylor where it's like, she needs to be like a lifelong career songwriter. Like, mm. I got it. I, you know, was also very interested in this trajectory away from country, mm-hmm. right? That was gradual. I think it's hard to remember that now that yeah. she's been doing her thing for so long. And then, you know, I think... At the time when Reputation came out, I was not so into it. You guys have really changed my, (laughs) my like perspective on that. Also, I have a few clients I work with in my work who actually really love a lot of songs on there. Mm -hmm. Like from the lover era on, I'm just like, I'm on board. And, (laughs) you know, even if you guys weren't doing this podcast, which by the way, I am a, you know, big fan and I tend to spend my Monday evenings sitting on the couch listening to it. I'm very interested in what she's up to and now she's collaborating with, you know, my guy Justin Vernon and, yeah. you know, and, and the National and all of these people too. So that's cool. And another thing I think that I feel like I want to say too is as somebody who hosts open mic nights who is very connected to the local music scene in the area that I live in, what Taylor Swift started out as is somebody who Mm. every few years respawns and comes in to open mic night. Mm. And it's like, I see that the number of times just that like a confident young woman with a guitar who's with some something to say very, very confidently Mm. comes in to a a place to play some music. You know, it's going to be a while before young Taylor isn't still the model for that. It's Mm. like still going on. Mm. Interesting. It's also really cool because our listeners don't know, but like you've mentioned obviously that, you know, your life is in music, your passions are in music, you're a musician and you teach music and What's cool is growing up, like, I never could introduce you to anything because you already knew it. So it is cool that, like, at least Taylor is what I have no, and I was you, able you, to introduce you to. You really to. got, you, you, you've introduced me to some other things, Okay, too. okay. I mean, especially <laughs> in the theater world. There's a lot of things That's that I... That's true. That is a different yes, niche. Yes, yes. <laughs> so today, Andrew... Yeah. As you know, we are discussing I Knew You Were Trouble. We're going to have you start out. What do you think about this song? So I love this song. I think this song is, like, really powerful. It's very catchy. It has a great dynamic to it. The chord progression is like really powerful. It's nothing wild where those chords land and where it hits and the usage of the minor chord. Mm. I think the key, at least the way I've played it, it's like capo on the fourth fret, which is the, the and the D chord shape. So that's really F sharp major when the capo's up on the guitar that way you know a lot of guitar snob types say oh just play bar chords but like (laughs) like that's it's not gonna sound right like the way that sounds when you hear that there's a certain immediacy to it and it's it's passionate and i mean you know the subject matter which i'm really looking forward to understanding the gossip gab (laughs) of it all it's such a real emotion to feel the you know you flew me to places I'd never been, and then you put me down. Mm. Uh, I'm lying on the cold, hard ground. The shame on me stuff. But even mm. just that chorus of, like, I knew you were trouble when you walked in. There's an ominousness mm-hmm. to that that I find so engaging, so gripping. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that, like, at the time, I guess, we were in the thick of, like, the dubstep 
Yes. Era. Right. Right. right? I feel like this is like a big thing to talk about here, which is like any trend in music, you know, it's like reaching some kind of an apex when like a major pop star is using it integrated into a song that doesn't need it to be a great song. Interesting, yeah. Right. It's kind of like, a, a, you know, Beat It by Michael Jackson has Eddie Van Halen shredding on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, you know that, like, 80s metal is, like, you know, at its highest point if, like, a For Everybody pop album has, has that on it, it right? Yeah. And I was listening to Taylor's version today very closely, because I was spent so much of my time with the Red Taylor's version on the vault stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because, you know, it's new. Like, I know Red, you know? Yeah. But I was really listening to the Taylor's version of I Knew You Were Trouble, and I noticed, oh, the there's really no wub-wub anymore. Like, mm-hmm. the, the drop is gone. Yeah. And I think that's smart, because even though I, I loved that back then, and maybe listening to the original is has a bit of a time capsule with that, but at the end of the day, it's just a breakdown. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like a well a well executed rhythmic breakdown. Yeah, yeah. That, that's not that doesn't go out of style. You know, no <laughs> pun intended. You know. <laughs> right. What about you, Devin? So I've never been a huge fan of this song. I really don't find myself searching for it. There are a lot of other Taylor songs, obviously, that I listen to quite a bit more. Mm. I actually, I'm eyeing myself here. I didn't know for the longest time which album I knew you were trouble was from. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought it was uh, from 1989 for a bit, and then it wasn't. And then I thought it was from Speak Now, and it wasn't. And then it, <laughs> then when Taylor's version for Red came out, I was like, oh, it's on Red. That's when you figured it out? No. Like, no. a month ago? No. <laughs> this song, it's like it's two songs. You know, you have the verses that are like this really cool, frantic, kind of like ska feel. Mm. Mm. And then you have the choruses that are these dubstep, weird, like breakdown, screlting her face off, Oz. And then a bridge that doesn't really feel like it's fully fleshed out and it's a little underbaked. So much else on this album is perfectly crafted. Mm. And we've talked about so many of those Red songs that feel like this just was kind of, I think, Andrew, you kind of put a pin for that for me in the sense that it was what popular vernacular was at the time, Mm -hmm. dubstep, and she wanted to play with it. And she wanted to put it into something on this album. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like it's the kind of song that it stands away from the album a lot. Like, thinking it was on 1989 makes sense, because I think, wow, the singles from 1989 were on the radio. I don't think I Knew Your Trouble ever left the radio either. At the same time. Yeah. All, like, hanging together in a way. And, like, I mean, you guys have talked about this. You know, not every record hits the same way, right? Right. Like, 1989 singles were on the radio while during the reputation cycle, too. Mm -hmm. And you still hear them. Yeah. Even with the success of lots of of things. Mm -hmm. Right. I feel like it doesn't fit in what Taylor was doing with Red. And I feel like it it fits more with what was happening in 1989, but 1989 wasn't happening. And now with Taylor's version, it still doesn't seem like it fits because it doesn't even have the same sort of emotion behind it that the original recording had Mm. in terms of the choruses like the raw emotion she was feeling for writing that song Mm. in that time you don't even get that on taylor's version taylor's version even feels like flat to me and i think you then also pointed that out in that there's no wub wub 
anymore, yeah. quote unquote. <laughs> I feel like I'm dating myself discussing dubstep, <laughs> you know? But what I love about this song, the verses, I am obsessed with the verse of this song. The way the guitar is playing, the way that the first verse builds. Mm. I mean, you start off with just that guitar, the ding, 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 and then slowly she comes in with the vocals and you get the bass drum. Then she comes back in for the second time through the verse and you get the bass that finally comes in and then you get the harmonies on the pre-chorus and you get like really fun harmony. So I'm like invested in that. Like I love all of that, and then it turns into a completely different song. Do you get the sense, with that harmony and that chorus, she's still got, like, a pinky toe in country? A little bit. With that, like, you can twang up that harmony, Mm -hmm. and you can do that as as a country song. I remember, it was big, I remember when 1989 came out, like, the article I read, like, before, Gab, you really showed me Mm -hmm. the album, I remember reading about how country radio refuses to play Shake It Off, right? Mm. (laughs) And it's like, but it's funny because like, where's the line, right? Like they didn't refuse to play I Knew Your Trouble, even though it's not a country song either. It just, it was by a country artist, but when she made Shake It Off, then she was not a country artist. Yeah, she was a pop artist. Right. Right. Well, and Red was billed and sold as a country album. It was still at the CMA Awards, all of that. Right, right. In terms of the chorus, like, I don't know if it's a subconscious thing for me remembering the meme with the goat. You know the goat the goat. No, the goat gets mentioned in Gossip Gab, so stay tuned. We're going to return to the goat. Wow, I am... The so, suspense about this goat So this now. meme, so anyway, so we'll talk about that meme later. So I don't know if it's a subconscious thing of like, I just have that in my brain with this song. It might be. And then, oh. but also I just don't think that the chorus is the same song. But then it pops right back into that amazing second verse. Mm-hmm. And this time you get like this cool synth up top that's like this doing the like, bing, 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 bing. And then you have like these really cool, like, ooh, it, it's such a cool part of the song. Like, if that was the whole song, I'd be like, in it. But like that, yeah, like going into the second chorus yeah. is so great. That Yes, yeah. that is yeah. super, super good. And then yeah. the bridge, I think, is just super underbaked. Yes, she's saying like, you know, you didn't love me, and you didn't love her, and you didn't love anyone. Yeah! Yeah, but the a, note is so good. Of course And then it she is. does that icon, iconic Taylor Yes, that in, in a tour. tour, like, she obviously put that in there for the tour. Like, yeah. that's a moment Epic. for the These are considerations Epic. you make. I really yeah. like this They bridge. are. Yeah. yeah. So, it's short, but I feel like it's definitely underbaked. I, I, she has way better bridges, I think. I love half of this song, and I hate the other half of this song. Interesting. So, it's... that makes it really, really hard for me, because I like listening to you know, half of it. Yeah. And and I can't stand listening to the other half. And I think part of that is kind of like your love for Holy Ground. They are on the same album. It's the driving part of that. Not that they sound the same, Uh, but it's a similar idea. Sure, maybe. The verses of this song. Yeah, maybe. Gab, what do you think of this song? So I also love the intro to this song. I think it's super iconic and catchy. And what I'm going to say as part of this whole conversation is... That by hearing that and what was coming in the song, it's like you almost knew it was going to be a hit. And this song was a huge hit. Yes. Like, there's a reason that a lot of people who don't know a lot of Taylor songs are like, oh, I knew I knew your triple. Yeah. Oh, I yeah. like that song. Yeah, like, it sure. was a huge hit. So I think, like, it's important to put it that into perspective, too, in terms of where Taylor was in her career. Mm-hmm. 
So, like, I definitely was not a huge dubstep fan. I still am not, but, like, especially even at the time. Dubstep itself is this, like, mostly instrumental, mm-hmm. electronic yeah. thing. It was a particular age in, like, clubs. Yeah. And then, you know, it, like, filtered into the pop scene. And yeah, exactly. Coming in here. And, and then we moved on to, like, EDM. And yeah, which tra- I would say, like, And then trap EDM music. Is, yeah, EDM is not a genre that's yeah. really... For me either. So when this song first came out, I was like, oh, it's catchy and I like it. But I wasn't a huge fan of it at the time. But you've got to give Taylor props for going for it and taking the chance. For sure. And knowing what was going to be hit. Not to mention, this was her, I believe, second collab with Max Martin and Shellback because they had done We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. Only which was a huge second. hit. Right. Only the second time. Yeah. She started working with them. So really, you know, yeah. Taylor's, this album. Taylor's huge and collaborating with a lot of people in the country realm. And then on yes. Speak Now, she starts like getting experimental and trying different things, as we talked about in some right. of her songs. And then when we get to Red, she's like trying to figure out what next direction she's going to go in. But she also is getting huge. So she has access to huge collaborators. Yeah. And so like working with the Max Martin and Shellback, like they are like, you know pop superstars and so knowing okay i'm going to make a pop superstar song while still building this as a country album like she took those chances but she also knew that they were going to pay off for her yeah and i think too like now you know in 2021 we're used to taylor trying things out artistically and taking risks and like changing her sound but in 2012 this song was a risk. Sure. Even oh, though she sure. was working with huge collaborators, some people were very critical of the dubstep components. Yeah. Like in sure. the music scene. Sure. Like even Taylor going pop was a risk at the sure. time, which is so insane to think about now. And yeah. then the part as well about like the way the song fits into this grand scheme of Red. Mm-hmm. I think what's interesting, because a lot of people often talk about how Red feels like two separate albums like the stuff that she did either on her own or with some of her older collaborators versus the stuff she did with Max Martin and Shellback feels like two separate albums the sounds are very different but I think like what Taylor has said at times is that this idea of going through this breakup this journey this then finding yourself kind of thing it is all those different jagged emotions so that kind of captures that this song's subject material isn't necessarily about anyone any other storyline on the album so it is kind of on its own okay and there is a way too where when it was written in collaborative with martin and shellback she wanted to write a song she's like this is going to be a big hit from this album and that's what the song ended up being right it's not as part of the narrative it doesn't feel the same but yeah like i would agree with that 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 makes sense if, if it's not about any other through line in some of the songs that she was writing, especially like songs she wrote by herself, yeah, then that would make sense. Yeah. And, and she, if she knew, obviously, she knew it was going to be a hit because it, it, it was. Yeah. So, and it's just interesting too seeing her for the first times really like trusting her collaborators' sounds too. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. not that she didn't do that in country music, but I feel like she knew that genre. And as she was working with some of these bigger people, trusting them to do things, which mm-hmm. I think has been a really interesting thing with her and Aaron Dessner. Yeah. She has so much faith in him that like he, he's going places that I don't think she ever thought she I would. I love it. Yeah, yeah. for yeah. sure. I think another reason why it's hard to pinpoint where this sits in her discography is because she performed it every night on the 1989 tour yes and and yes. so like that's a whole other thing is that it fits into 1989 perfectly right and and, and i think there's a reason for that yeah and not just 
sound-wise and where she saw herself going, but also subject matter. Right. I think, so you mentioned the 1989 performance, and so I got to see that performance live. What's really cool is, you know, Taylor's talking about this song and singing about a time when she lost herself or shame on me and there was something that, you know, she should have known or whatever, but then she's in the 1989 tour looking back and she's much more in her power in that Mm -hmm. performance I think for sure versus like during the red tour or even some of those promo performances for it I think it's really cool seeing how the song then evolved and it kind of became more rock almost I think as it evolved I think that's the natural direction for it yeah yeah, to go and in fact I have a friend, probably more than one friend, but a friend, one friend that I know of who has like a very raw, like indie folk punk band. I was seeing them last night. It's my friend Matt Newberg of The Imperfect. Shout, uh, out. shout out. Shout out to Matt. I <laughs> just saw last night. They actually did like a raucous version of Lucky by Britney Spears. That's awesome. <laughs> and, um, but I've seen him on at least one time. He did. I knew you were trouble. Mm. Cool. Yeah. It's a banger when you rock it up. For sure. It yeah. certainly is. Which she also did in the 1989 tour for We Are Never Ever Getting Back Together. There's yeah. a rock version that of one an electric too. guitar, which is yeah. awesome. I can hear yeah. that too. So Devin. Oh, yeah. Do you relate to I Knew You Were Trouble? Not really. <laughs> I did have one relationship in college where the girl did really push me out of my comfort zone in terms of like things that I thought were trouble. Mm. Like, you know, smoking pot underage drinking partying like (laughs) things that were technically trouble that you know i didn't really take part in until like i met her and Mm. so it was and like like late night parties and stuff like you know me i'm a grandparent i love to sleep i don't like being out late i love love being in my comfies at night reading you know or playing video games so like that's what i like to do i'm calling shenanigans on reading my sister is making faces at me i have been reading for the past two nights (laughs) yeah he hasn't but other than the past two nights he hasn't read in six months oh boy i put on my glasses i put on my sleeping hat (laughs) <laughs> and and my slippers. Are you ready for Santa to yes. come? <laughs> so so this was like the only relationship, or and I don't even think it was a relationship. I think that we were just sure. you know friends, and you know, but they kind of pushed me outside this comfort zone, which kind of feels like what this person did to Taylor or mm, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like this was somebody who she was like that person's trouble. But I like that. Yeah. And I'm going to hitch a ride on that trouble train, especially when we talk about the music video. So that's kind of how I relate Mm. to it. I've never been in a relationship where I was thinking back on something where I was like, oh, I knew it from the get-go that like I should not have done anything with this person and now I'm the worst for it. Gab, do you relate to this song? So I don't necessarily relate to the extremes of this song, um, but I can relate to falling for someone who I knew was going to hurt me in the end. So, like, mm. I knew you were trouble, shame on me. Like, I knew that I w- it wasn't going to go well for me. And, like, your, Do tell. your gut often can be right when you know those feelings. But oftentimes, you know, you think you can change someone or be, like, the exception. And mm-hmm. you're just, you're not. So I think a lot of us have probably felt that way. And it wasn't even someone I dated, just someone that, like, I had feelings for and they were never reciprocated. But I thought, like... There's a chance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I still ended up hurt, even though I was trying to like protect myself every step of the way of not. It's hard. Yeah. It's yeah. Hard. What about you, Andrew? Okay, so <laughs> not in the <laughs> not in the sense uh, of uh, any relationship mm-hmm. that I have been in, but like in like I guess the abstract sense or maybe the literal sense of walking in when I'm not working as a music therapist, I spend a lot of my time involved in the local music scene. I've been connected 
to it in northern New Jersey for, I mean, 15 years yeah. at this point. I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm four years older than Gab. You can, uh, <laughs> you can take from that what you will. So I've been, I've been at it for a long time and I host open mics. I ha- I'm taking on as I'm getting older a little bit of a, fatherly figure role or a professor role. The result of that is sometimes you see people kind of stroll into the coffee shop or the Mm -hmm. bar and you've never seen them before. But once you've seen a lot of musicians Uh and a lot of personality types, (laughs) you can almost predict what they're going to do to the (laughs) ecosystem now that they're here, if they stick around. And it's like, you know, listen, you know, we create uh, an environment for people to express themselves you know we don't pick winners and losers here unless somebody is being abusive or a problem where we need to deal with that which you know fortunately that's only had to happen so many times but uh, otherwise you know what okay sarah sarah you know things happen and i mean i almost feel like maybe i relate to this song on behalf of certain couples who i've watched mm-hmm. happen in my community oh like, that's uh, trouble oh, I can see it. this is either gonna be great or terrible yeah. <laughs> but I, it's none of my like, it's none of my business i can't <laughs> I'm not going to go tell her not to go out right. with him. This, you know? guy, this guy's trouble. <laughs> Honestly, sometimes neither one of them is trouble, but getting together, that's trouble. Yeah, you right. Know? yeah. right. So I feel like that's where I kind of relate okay. to the I song. Like that. This, and then there is an element of shame on me because it's like I saw it coming. Yep. It wasn't right to say <laughs> I, anything. I, I didn't them. say anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And I, I actually totally have seen that with friends. For like, sure. I, I, I could see the person was a red flag right away. A, a social circle is an institution it's mm. like a country or a restaurant or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah i knew you were troubles music video was directed by anthony mandler who also directed the 22 music video it was shot in los angeles with reeve carney as taylor's co-star reeve carney is best known for his lead role in the infamous broadway production spider-man turn off the dark oh. which was around this time <laughs> oh boy as well as for playing Orpheus in the current Broadway musical Town, which won the Tony Award for oh. Best Musical in 2019. So that's that's a better credit for that's his like name. The Much best better. Of, the best of times and the worst of yes. times yeah. of theater. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark was an infamous Broadway musical that had 182 previews, which is <laughs> usually a time where the show's like trying to work out kinks to open, and usually a show has maybe like 30 previews. So yeah, 182 like a is a lot. Yeah. It was known for a lot of technical difficulties. The Spider-Man trying to fly the in the Spider-Man. theater and getting injured. Lots of really uh, t- bad things. And some s- serious injuries. Uh, are you are you guys aware there's a, even a Sesame Street that parodies this? Oh. I mean everything. You know how right? Grover always like is it's his first day on the job and he's doing the best he can like yeah. he's, he's like the current spider-man there's one guy in the audience and he falls on top of him like <laughs> oh no. it's very funny yeah 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 so reef carney became pretty well known because he was playing spider-man dare we say musical. infamous uh, yeah i've said it twice yeah <laughs> the music video was taylor's 23rd music video that she filmed Whoa. and it premiered on mtv on december 13th 2012 which was taylor's 23rd birthday. Wow. So it was her 23rd video oh. premiering on her 23rd birthday. That's pretty cool. She's really cool. The video depicts Taylor waking up alone in a desert with the remnants of like a party strewn all about her. It has this preamble in the beginning with the following narration before the song starts. 
I think when it's all over, it just comes back in flashes, you know? It's like a kaleidoscope of memories, but it all just comes back. But he never does. I think part of me knew the second I saw him that this would happen. It's not really anything he said or anything he did. It was the feeling that came along with it. And crazy thing is, I don't know if I'm ever going to feel that way again. But I don't know if I should. I knew his world moved too fast and burned too bright, but I just thought, how could the devil be pulling me towards someone who looks so much like an angel when he smiles at you? I'm going to keep reading it, but I just have to say <laughs> that Taylor calling her, like, love interest angel smiling is a theme, Cruel Summer. And then also, right. uh, Kaleidoscope is what we all thought Lover was going to be called. When, right. When it was just TS7. Just yep. some thoughts. Okay, back to the quote. Maybe he knew that when he saw me. I guess I just lost my balance. I think that the worst part of it all wasn't losing him. It was losing me. It's a little dramatic. The song then plays with like shots of their relationship, turmoil, and cut in scenes of Taylor singing in this like abandoned desert with like garbage strewn about her. The song ends with the line kind of mirroring the preamble. I don't know if you know who you are until you lose who you are. And for me, that's very reminiscent of she lost him, but she found herself and somehow that was everything from 1989. Liner notes. Yeah. It's very similar idea. Very similar. Devin, what do you think of this music video? That line, she lost him but found herself and somehow that was everything. Mm-hmm. It hits so much deeper and harder than I don't know if you know who you are until you lose who you are. Mm-hmm. The prose and the syntax is so much more concise yeah. and profound. Like the first one sounds like it was written by a younger Taylor. Yeah. And then it then transitioned into a time when she was able to create this incredible you know, poem for 1989. Yeah, I feel like the preamble to this music video does feel young. It feels young. The narration, she sounds young even. Yeah. So this is flooding back to me. Mm-hmm. Before we started, we were talking about, have I seen the video? And I said, I'm pretty sure I saw it at the time. This is so vivid to me now. It's very of the time. It's interesting, actually, in a couple ways to me. The aesthetics of that. Again, it's that theme of, like, a tiny bit country. Because there's that song Nancy Sinatra and Lee Hazelwood sang together, Summer Wine. Mm. And it's this whole song about, well, it's, it's the genders are, are reversed, but the idea is, like, Nancy Sinatra is singing to Lee Hazelwood, like, take off your silver spurs and help me pass the time, and mm-hmm. I'll bring to you my summer wine. And the idea is he wakes up, and he's been, like, robbed. And <laughs> like, and so there's a little bit of that country element in there. It's also very dubstep, right? It wasn't, mm. like, so much of that, those aesthetics was, like, the dark side of the yeah. American youth, youth party. And, like, yeah. like I've like never, drugs, s- yeah. I have never seen the movie Spring Breakers, but I feel like stuff like that goes on in that movie. Yeah. yeah, I remember when this first came out, I did not like this music video because Taylor was so grunge and, like, it was kind of edgy and, like, the guy she was with was, like, bar fighting. Yeah. And, like, especially after the Speak Now videos and then the ne- we are never ever getting back together music video which were like fun yeah. and light and very much <laughs> tailor teen yeah i remember like i just didn't relate to music video i'm like those are bad kids bad. partying that's not me <laughs> and like watching it all these years later i get the story taylor was trying to tell and the different direction she took it and she was trying to do something different with her image there mm-hmm. she was trying to like tell the story in a different way in a more fictional way than actually her life. Mm. I think her videos started to get much more edgy in the eras to follow. So this doesn't seem that edgy in hindsight. Yeah. I really don't know what she was trying to do with this music video. Mm-hmm. Like the tone, again, of it, it feels, again, like two totally different things. But this time, 
the differences come from that first part with the narration. There's like this ominous undertone music. There's like this ambiance that is just like this dark and brooding and stuff. And she's like saying the narration in like this really like low, like, like very, you know, raspy kind of voice. And then it's ding, 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 once upon a time. Yeah. A few yeah. Mistakes. And I'm like, I'm like, wait, what? Well, and it's like super quick I, into it. I feel like she was driving at something. But I think I think she did not want to go all the way towards it. Yes. Mm. But she wanted to have some amount of it. When an artist does that, like, sometimes, like, that's kind of, like, what happened. Sometimes that is how a lot of, like, failed experiments mm-hmm. happen that are still really mm-hmm. interesting, mm-hmm. Yeah. you know? I feel like if the whole song were the chorus, then that would make sense for that opening narration. Like, mm-hmm. that tone fits with the chorus, but it doesn't fit with the fun ska part that are the verses mm. to me. I, I love that, that ska is your reference point there. I totally get it. It's you that, it's that, it's yeah, like, it's that <laughs> high up on yeah. the neck. Mm. A little scratchy. Yeah, yeah. Also, I really don't like Reeve Carney <laughs> as a performer at all. So he doesn't do anything for me here. I do not think he warrants her getting into trouble. That's fair because she's he, like into him getting in trouble. He's like not that charismatic nope. in the video. No, nope. yeah. he just doesn't seem worth it. He hasn't seen worth all the trouble. Mm. I just think the video seems all over the place. There are way too many cuts. Yeah, love. It does not f- stay focused on any through line. The different things that happen in the relationship, you're not really invested in because they just move right off of that into something else. Mm-hmm. And you can't even tell why she was interested in him in the first place. Yeah, we didn't really learn that. It was the whole video just like this, this thing of saying like, these are all of the bad things that he did. Well, no, because she's talking about how it comes back in memories. Right. It, like kaleidoscopes, it right? It comes back in flashes. I mean, I just think that she has way better music videos. Yeah, I totally would agree with that. That damn bar fight. Oh, that stupid and bar fight. I hate that. Yeah. And it, like the fight starts because what? He moves someone's yeah. pool ball? Yeah. <laughs> and then they start fighting in a bar. It's just like stupid people fighting for no reason. Yeah. I mean, being rude or whatever. I hate fights. I hate violence. I hate bar fights. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I hate that that's, like, that central thing. And that the idea is, like, I knew you were trouble. And then it's, like, actual trouble with, like, the law, potentially. And then, like, leaving her <laughs> yeah. in the desert. Right. Like, the police show up. Yeah. yeah. This really is the aspect that is still country. Look, she's obviously huge all over the country and the world. But I know that there's, like, you know, a certain sort of country fan that maybe feels that she's moved away from representing sure. them. Yeah, when when did the song from The Hunger Games come out? The one with the Civil Wars? So that was in 2013. Right. Okay, so that's so like, like a, right around this around time. this time, yeah. and it's like, what's that? It's like songs from District Twelve, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. And what's District Twelve? It's it's Appalachia, right? It, like some cultural overtures to like her roots before she goes international, because that's, right? that's inevitable yeah. for her. It's really interesting because. That idea too, like the bar fights, that kind of thing, is very prevalent in country uh, music videos, and I often don't like the sure, country sure. music videos. Yeah. So it make, that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. We're gonna be doing a music video Taylor ranking on our Patreon sometime soon. So Ooh, that to all fun. our Patreon subscribers and future Patreon subscribers, be prepared for that. Yeah. We are gonna be ranking those. Like that is that is. Excellent content yes, that is indeed. worth yes. every penny. <laughs> Thank you. Now we get to the segment of... Gossip. Gossip. 
Before playing I Knew You Were Trouble on Good Morning America, Taylor explained, It's a song that is one of my favorites on the album because it sounds just as chaotic as the feeling when I wrote it. It's a song about being frustrated with yourself because here you are heartbroken and you knew when you first saw this person, you saw all these red flags and you went for it anyway, so shame on me. Mm. As we've talked about, the song features some dubstep elements, but apparently Taylor admitted to Spin Magazine that she was unaware that she was dipping her toe in the EDM genre when she recorded this song. I don't believe that. At all. Taylor knows the industry. She knows what she's doing, but this is the quote that she gave to the magazine. Hmm. What ended up happening was I wrote this melody for this chorus on the piano and I brought it to Max Martin and Shellback and I said, at the end of the chorus, I just want this to go crazy. I want it to be really chaotic. I want the bass line to do this. And she makes the uh, sound. I don't really know what to call it, but I just kind of sing how I want it to sound. And they're like, oh, sort of like a dubstep thing. And I'm like, I guess, I don't know. You end up doing a lot of that when you're recording and writing, being like, it sounds like this. I wanted the song to sound as chaotic as the emotion felt. Hmm. I wanted it to be loud and out of control. Hmm. So I think that's interesting. And it's also really cool learning about her process with Max Martin and Shellback on this song after we recently watched the video of I Did Something Bad, where Mm -hmm. she was working with them. And she used the same tactic of making sounds of how she wanted them to sound in the song. With the da 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 they executed it with production. So I think there is some element of her hearing that, but I also think there's an element that she was influenced about what was big at the time. Like, if she wanted a drop there, you huh. know? Uh-huh. But maybe she didn't say, like, I'm going to try dubstep. Maybe they were like, hey, I think this could work here, and it will do well. Yeah. Right, right. So there could be that. But it's also really funny that, like, this has been their process of writing together for years. Yeah. Like, her being like, like, here's this sound, sound. execute it. <laughs> and mean, Devin doesn't like them ever. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> I personally love the idea that like they got comfortable working that way. Yeah, it's like, cool. I that think is, that's yeah. awesome. Like yeah, all yeah. these years. It's just, it is also very funny though. Like speaking with Cosmopolitan magazine, Taylor admitted to having gone into a relationship knowing it was the wrong thing to do. She said, I think that idea of love I hope for is that you learn a lesson and you don't have to learn it twice. But the song I Knew You Were Trouble is about when I knowingly made the same mistake twice. Ugh. I couldn't resist it. There's that temptation to push yourself into a risky situation with someone who is going to hurt you, and that's what the song is about, not trusting your own instincts and ignoring all the red flags. I believe, we're going to get to this later, that this is a reference to a backsliding that happened with Taylor, uh as we've talked about often on this podcast. Is this backslide the Jake Gyllenhaal backslide after three months? Nope. Taylor spoke to The Boot about the inspiration for this song. She did a lot of press for this song because Mm. it was a single. She said, I've written about shame on you, you broke my heart, but I've never written about shame on me, you broke my heart. I knew when you walked in, you were going to be complete bad news, and I ran toward you anyway. I believed you anyway. I fell for you anyway, even though every red flag was going up every step of the way. We find ourselves where we are in that situation where we want to think we're the exception, which is what I said in my relate to. We want to think we can change someone, tame a lion, or make a bad guy good. But nine times out of ten, we end up looking back going, shame on me, should have seen that one coming. Mm Mm-hmm. So, this song was originally, based on when it came out, rumored to be about John Mayer, given the timing of Red, and what we knew about their relationship from the song Dear John. Uh Uh-huh. I think I used to think this was about John Mayer, and after just hearing you talk about so many things, I decided... 
I don't know who this is about. I'll, <laughs> I'll let Gab tell me. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am going to tell you who now people believe it is about. But there was, I also thought it was about John Mayer. Because we're like, shame on me. Like, she knew his reputation. But it's not about John Mayer. As time passed, it was soon believed. And in a many ways confirmed. Oh, that this song is about Harry Styles. Ooh. Which I can't believe you didn't figure out, Dev, given the clues I was laying throughout the podcast. So, the hidden message in the red liner notes for I Knew You Were Trouble is when you saw me dancing. Ah. It's a pretty general hidden message. It really could mean anything, but some people believe it's from the Kids' Choice Awards in spring 2012 when Taylor and Harry first met and she and Selena were dancing in the audience to One Direction's performance. Oh. Which Taylor and Selena were very much known for being on camera dancing. All the time. I also want to say, as someone who grew up with Nickelodeon, with you, yeah, I love learning who was on the Kids' Choice Awards when I was already an adult. Yeah, really well because we're contemporaries with them. When I saw Arcade Fire at Madison Square Garden that they won a Kids' Choice Award, I was like, "That's so cool! It's so funny!" They're even Canadian. The timeline of Terry, Terry. Oh, I ship it. <laughs> no, no, it's called Terry. No, they're called Haler. So the timeline of <laughs> Haler, aka Terry Taylor Styles. and Harry Haler. H-A-Y-L-O-R is often misconstrued or there are pieces that are missing. So it is very much believed that there was a Haler part one. So Taylor and Harry apparently met at this award show and were kind of seeing each other secretly or courting each other in spring of 2012. Mind you, this is not when they became publicly a couple. Oh, okay. Okay? When this happened, Harry was on tour and he Photos appeared of him kissing a model named Emma Ostilly in New Zealand around the time that apparently Taylor and Harry were starting a courtship. Oh, no. Yes. Breakup number one happened, or like, we're not going to be together number one happened. Right. Also, that line could be, I heard that you've been out and about with some other girl. Right. What you heard is true, but I can't stop thinking about you. Right? Great song. Those are lyrics from Style. Style. Which is obviously about Harry. Oh, my. I've never made that connection. That's why you have to keep listening (laughs) to T to Z. It's not so obvious, is it, Gab? People like me are coming around to Harry Styles like now. Yeah. So, like, I'm only getting to know him now. I listened to his tiny desk, like, yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't have been a One Direction fan. You were an adult man. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Not that adult men didn't like One Direction. It's just it wasn't your cup of tea. As we know, Taylor and Harry eventually got back together publicly about six months later in the fall of 2012. And this was when we knew they were together and it was around the time this song came out. But if they had broken up the first time in the spring, there is a chance that this song could have been written about that experience. Given that it was so close to the album coming out and that Taylor's previous relationship really played into most of this album, including like Jake, Gyllenhaal, Connor Kennedy, this song being about Harry could help explain why it doesn't really fit on Red and feels more like 1989, which a lot is about Harry, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is so illuminating. Yes. At the time that this came out, we thought it was about John and not Harry, because in our mind, they hadn't dated yet. Ah, of course. In the public lexicon. Right. And, and we have to always remember, there's so much of Taylor's lore that we don't know or that were parceled out to publicly in a specific right. way. Right. We find out what was going on later. It kind of reminds me how, like, you know, Get Back just came out. And mm-hmm. there's things about the Beatles that are being clarified after 50 years. Exactly. Everyone was mixing up what happened in early 1969 with early 1970. They weren't fighting about the same things. Mm-hmm. But, but because Let It Be came out then, 
it, but it was about all that stuff back then. It's just like what you're saying. People, you you didn't know she was dating Harry. Yeah, exactly. How could, how right. could you think it was about him? Right. Yeah. So then Taylor and Harry officially broke up shortly after New Year's. And on January 5th, 2013, Taylor tweeted, dot, 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 till you put me down. Yeah. Which many saw as a confirmation that this song was indeed about Harry. Mm. But it could also just be her using her own lyrics. I quote my lyrics when appropriate sometimes, too. I quote Taylor's (laughs) lyrics all the time. And subtweeting was such a thing then, too. When Taylor accepted her award for Best Female Video VMA for I Knew You Were Trouble, she quipped, I also want to thank the person who inspired this song because he knows exactly who he is. And then the camera got a clip of Harry and, like, his bandmates. But, like, I think part of it could be about it. And then part of it is also them playing into this narrative because they know it's interesting to the media. I do think there could have been an aspect of that given the second breakup. When Taylor was asked how she felt performing I Knew You Were Trouble at the Brit Awards, which is a very interesting performance. She starts it in, like, this, like, very stylized wedding-type gown. And, like, all of her backup dancers are kind of, like, um, in matador outfits. Really? Yes. It's it's interesting music video. But she's in this wedding gown that eventually gets pulled away, and she's in this kind of, like, leather, black, lingerie-esque outfit to end the song. So she's asked how she felt performing this song at the Brit Awards, to which she replied, Well, it's not hard to access that emotion when the person the song is directed at is standing by the side of the stage watching. The only one of Taylor's exes who was at the 2013 Brit Awards, Uh as far as we know, was Harry Styles. Wow. There you go. And it's very interesting because it seems that given that both these award shows took place after the official breakup, it might have been the second breakup, she had this song where she already says, shame on me, I knew you were trouble. It seems Taylor was ready to confirm more information about who this song was about than she usually does. Because she usually is pretty vague. Even still to this day with All Too Well. Yeah. Like she still is very vague. She never, ever confirms exactly who her songs are about unless they're about like, her mom, or in a right. secret session, she said Gorgeous was about Joe. You know, she'll confirm like some like her positive, relationship with Joe is, things. is different. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But she doesn't confirm a lot of these other things. And this, her saying that her ex was watching her, is the closest I think she ever got to really confirming this song I is about would someone. Say so. So I feel yeah. like we have to take that for sure. So I believe that this song is about Harry. You know, he was huge at the time. He was like, you know, every girl's crush in one direction. And so she's like saying, you know, shame on me. But then also the fact that so much of this narrative and the ideas of this carry over into 1989, where there are a lot of songs that are about the Harry experience. Ah. It just, it connects. And even the, she lost him but found herself, was underbaked in this, the music video for I Knew Your Trouble, but it was the same idea that she lost herself. The flower bloomed into something eventually. Yeah. What terms are they on now? You Great know? question, Andrew. Yeah. So, as, both out there. Yeah, as far as we know, yeah. they're on pretty amicable, respectful terms based on the fact that they both saw and congratulated each other at the 2020 Grammys where they both won awards. Could yep. that account for the perceived on Devin's part lack of as much venom in the Taylor's version? 
Yeah. Could be. It could. Just not something that, like, you know, because you're talking so much about how, like, the experience of this, of what Mm -hmm. went down with Jake makes it so she can access something so profound for the 10 minute all too well. Yeah. You know, but, you know, no two relationships are ever alike. Not every hurt is the same. Yeah. It's interesting. I do think that Harry, it was like a different experience for that, like, she felt like she had to go through, but that she learned a lot from, but was still like appreciative of. Mm, yeah. In a different way. So maybe she just can't access quite the same Oof. thing. Oof, exactly. Thank you. I'm, yeah. I was making a motion that the audience wouldn't be able well, to also hear and Devin made it audible by going oomph. It's also that. different <laughs> feelings in terms of... I knew you were a trouble shame on me. Like, I was aware of this, and it's what played out, yeah. versus you yeah. destroyed me. I was sure. in love with you. There's, right. like, different emotions involved there, too. Yeah. And I think now, too, Taylor and Harry can appreciate kind of the creative inspiration their relationship gave both of them, sure. and also where each other are at musically, because they're both very happy, they're both doing really well. And I think Devin also probably wasn't thinking Harry, because in the fandom, Harry's generally really liked. And yeah. like, we listen to his music, it's very different than how the fandom feels about like John Mayer or Jake Gyllenhaal. Right. Yeah. Sure. So, now we get to the goat meme. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm real because I, I missed this, clearly. So, in 2013, videos of goats screaming... Became very popular on YouTube. I do remember that this was a thing. Okay. And goat screaming because it was this crazy guttural thing that people were like, oh my God, what? Goat sound like that? It was this specific goat. It was this one goat that... The the greatest of all time. I will will try and link it into our Instagram when we post this. (laughs) Yes. So, well, no, I'm going to tell them what to Google. So, someone created a treble, the song, Goat Remix. Where the goats are cut into the song. So it goes, now I'm lying on the cold hard ground. And says, oh, trouble. The goats go, (laughs) it's like really loud, intense goat screaming. I did see this. I forgot. I blocked this out. I've seen this. I remember. This was a thing. Yeah, it was a huge thing. And I remember just like hysterically (laughs) laughing in college to this. And it was everywhere. And like Gina, I remember her room was like catty corner of mine. She was on our podcast Blank Space episode. And I could hear her playing this goat version of I Knew You Were Trouble over and over and and just laughing. If you didn't experience this, which I know a lot of our listeners might be younger, might not have been up on the Goat memes That's, in Those are the same listeners who need to be explained what dubstep is. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, search on YouTube, I knew you were trouble goats. And you won't regret it. Devin will try and link it, too, for those of you who follow it's, us on Instagram. It is, it is absolutely one of the most incredible creations of all time. So, I actually do believe that that goat video makes you not like that part of the song even more. It's a possibility. Because <laughs> maybe, maybe if, you, if, you've, if you've watched it enough times, it might be stuck in your head. It might be the normal version yeah. to you now. And I think the goats make me like it more. I think that the goat version is better. It's so funny. It's freaking hysterical. And, and has all... she ever commented on the goats? I don't has know. Anyone ever? I feel like she had to. Has she ever referenced it? But I anywhere? don't remember. Oh, that would be so good. She must have, right? So she's listening so now, funny. right? Yeah. Yeah, Taylor, let us Absolutely. know what you thought about those goat yes. memes. I'm sure she thought it was funny. I, but given the way she likes, like, all the TikTok trends and stuff and participates, she likes the meme stuff with her song. Like, oh, when yeah. it's all in good fun and, like, sure, humorous, sure. she likes that. Andrew. Yeah. What is your favorite line in I Knew You Were Trouble? It's the second pre-chorus for some... It, mm-hmm. It's the delivery. Mm-hmm. He was long gone when he met me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
because it's like, yeah, you're long gone when you're next to me. You, you know, you're 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 distant. Your mind is elsewhere. Okay, but then when that comes back, and it's mm-hmm. like when he met me, oh. he was long gone when he met me. Meaning, like this whole exercise, they never is, stood a chance. Right. That that I think that's my favorite. Line. We were built to fall apart and come back together. See, I'm just gonna quote 1989. It's just, uh, it's like a proto 89. Well, it is well, a prototype for 1989. Well, she had to do this to to get to there. get to 99. Yeah. Well, and she collaborated with Max Martin yep. and Shellback a ton on that album. Yep, right, of course. So of it's, course. I mean, it's all connected, and that's why I feel like you feel that way. It's because it's it's about Harry, and it's a different emotion than some of these other songs. Yeah. Also, the whole flew me to places I'd never been thing makes sense if it's. More if it's Harry, because he's actually from a different country. Yeah, I always took that, though, not literally. Like, right. emotionally. But, like, you know, like, yeah, John Mayer had the ability to fly her anywhere, I'm sure. But, yeah. like, you know, to actually get together, their flying yeah. would have been involved with her and it's Harry. It's true. Devin, what's your favorite line? So I just really like Once Upon a Time a Few Mistakes Ago. That's cool, uh-huh. yeah. Another reason why I love the verses, and starting off, I love when Taylor brings us in into story time. Mm-hmm. And I love when she starts off her songs in, like, a fairy tale. Or, like, she is going to present a story to us, and we are going to get the information and do with it what we will. Mm-hmm, kind mm-hmm. of thing. And so whenever she uses things like Once Upon a Time, or, like, The Story Goes, or, like, you know, like, the sto- that's why I love The Story of Us so mm-hmm, much, because mm-hmm. it's a story... You know, it's story time with Taylor. Mm-hmm. I, I really like that. And then a few mistakes ago. So she's done other stuff since then. Once upon a time when, like, at the beginning of their relationship, there were so many mistakes along the way. Mm-hmm. A few mistakes ago, before all of this happened, I met you, but it's still, the mistakes are still going to happen. Yeah. And then also, it's not a happy ending. Mm-hmm. Once upon a time, it makes you think that's going to be a fairy tale. And right. It's not. definitely not. Right. She's lying on the cold hard ground. Yeah. Or as she she's lying it, on the cold hard ground. Till you put me down. That's what she tweeted. Yeah. Which I miss that. I miss like very candid, petty Taylor tweeting. I get why it doesn't exist Taylor anymore, tweets, but yeah. I liked it. I need to like go back and listen to every song that starts with "Once Upon a Time" that mm-hmm. that is not a fairy tale mm-hmm. in yeah. its tone. There's a lot of them. I never thought about how "Once Upon a Time" creates an expectation yeah. mm-hmm. of something that's subverted. That's really that's a very cool lens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and it's a it's yeah. a cool way to tell and sing a story. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Gap. What is your favorite line? My favorite line is, and I heard you moved on from whispers on the street, a new notch in your belt is all I'll ever be. So this idea of like going out with a player or someone who Mm. dates a lot of people Mm. and just knowing that like you're just going to be another one of his exes and that's just what happens. And also the idea that she didn't hear that he moved on from him, from whispers on the street, from rumors, you know, and especially, I mean, we, I think a lot of us have experienced that kind of a thing. With, like, people maybe in similar friend circles or yep. things like that. Someone you liked that, like, has moved on and you're like, oh, I guess it's not going to happen. But with Taylor, if it was Harry, it's so public. And, right. Like, whispers on the street. And I like that That's line. good. I and like I, that I also really like The Bridge. But with, the, with me, The Bridge, I always thought of it when it was about John Mayer. So uh, it's like, because, mm-hmm. you know, John Mayer has a thing, like, part of me who's never tr- truly loved anything. Right, half of my heart. Yeah, yeah. so that right. always made me think of that line where it's like, you never love me or her, anyone uh, or anything. It always made me think of John Mayer. I think that half-bakedness you talk about, Devin, it's like, is it about... Who's her? Who's this? There's no third person anywhere else in, in the, the song. song. Yeah, right. her. Yeah. So who's who, who's that? Her you moved on. Right. That means that there's somebody else. Yeah. Or right. but her could also be Emily 
Ostily, who he who Harry kissed in New Zealand. It could be someone that he was with before her. Yeah, well, and that's a lot of people thought that yeah. John Mayer could have been about like Jennifer Aniston or yeah, Jessica Simpson and, or any, any of them, right? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And that makes it not make sense because there is no other mention of another person in the song. It's all about him. Exactly. Not to mention too. So that kind, of, yeah. Like a right. new notch in your belt is is reminiscent of the lyrics with uh, John Mayer. Y'all add my name to the long list of traitors yeah. who don't understand. So I do think, like, obviously all of her experiences influence her songwriting. For sure. So there could be just some general male anger here, too. It could be, like, factually about Harry, but some of the emotion can be about John, too. Sure, yeah. Like, I do that. I think we all do that. Yeah. When we we create something, it can be about a lot of things at once. Yeah. For sure. Okay, Andrew. Yes. From one to ten, whispers on the street. Ooh, good metric. Okay. What do you rate? I knew you were in trouble. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it an eight. Okay. Nice. So uh, I I really enjoyed this song. I've enjoyed it for a long time in my career now. Uh, you know, I'm back in person with a lot of clients, but I also still do many remote sessions, and a lot of those remote sessions involve me sitting in my living room at my laptop, you know, with a client. And some of these clients that uh, I see remotely, they're suitable for teletherapy beyond the facts of COVID. It's a thing that's been uh, a valid case for Mm -hmm. a while to come now. Like, I'm not, I'm not going in person with some of these. Some of them are not mobile, spend a lot of time sleeping. It's all, it's less interactive at times, but I play songs that I think you know, are gonna, you know, perk them up, make mm. them happy, make them, you know, a thing or two about music that they've enjoyed through their life. Mm-hmm. And so I sit there with my tablet. I will go to this one frequently. This one in like blank space, you know, I do them mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. So it's up, it's up there for me. Um, I would say in the last few years, the direction her career has gone is something so compatible with me that like, all of that stuff now is, like, over this for me. Mm-hmm. But, like, it doesn't, you know, diminish my my feeling about this song. Cool. cool. So, That's really cool. That. Yeah. What about you, Devin? One to ten whispers on the street. So I'm, I've been thinking about this whole time mm-hmm. when I'm going to rate it. Yeah. I think I'm going to give it five. Okay. And because I love half of it and I don't like the other I half. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> that makes it a five for I me. Guess that makes sense. You know? That does make sense. I know we really didn't talk about the live performances too, too much. Yeah. But I really don't like the 1989 performance. You don't? Nope. And I knew you would <laughs> trouble when you Does, does it really slow down that much? Yeah, it does. It does. What? And she's like, she's like up against a pole with her dancer. But that's just the beginning. Yeah, I know. That's just the intro. I know, but still. And like the audience is screaming. Yeah, yeah. it's it's designed for the for the, the stage. intro. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think I'll give it a five. And I have to say, listening to the version from the music video and listening to Taylor's version, it really is one of the few songs on the album that I don't think is as good as the original recording. Mm, I've heard that too as well. And I, you know, feel the same way about both recordings, though. So a five it will be for me. Gab, from one to ten whispers on the street, what do you give this song? I think... I think I'm going to give this song six whispers on the street. Personally, like for me, it's not one of my favorite songs. I understand why this song was such a hit and did so well. And obviously the gossip gab of it all was very fun to do and detailed. Sure, sure. But... 
it's not one that like will be one of my you know even top 50 taylor songs like it's it's just not one i go to a lot i like it a lot more than you do yeah and i understand it a lot like in terms of like what she was trying to do. Uh-huh. But it doesn't mean that it's personally one of my favorites. Sure. I think all the major artists have this, where there's a song that is a huge hit for them mm-hmm. that their hardcore fans really don't love. Well, that's very common with Taylor. Shake It Off. Her hardcore well, fans... Well, Shake It Off is the most... I mean, it was so ubiquitous yeah. for so long. I yeah. mean, peop, it's natural that everybody, including hardcore Swifties, might get sick of it for a yeah. while. Uh, still a yeah. great song. And it's a very common thing with Taylor and her fandom will, will often be like, okay, her lead singles that everyone else hears and are on the radio are never the best songs on her album. I'm sure hardcore Coldplay fans are tired of Viva La Vida. I'm yeah. sure they yeah, are. Yeah, that must be a thing. Must be a thing. For sure. Yeah. yeah. That's just how it is. Also, as we've found on this podcast, when I can connect more to a song, I, it tends to resonate with me in a different way when I personally feel relating to it. For sure. So that's just how my ratings work. I think my scale of ratings is personal to me. Of course. <laughs> As is every scale of rating. Yes. Also, this scale is built to withstand this entire podcast run. It's true. And yeah. it has to hold the weight of the tens you give out. You have to, you have to, you balance, have to balance it out I know. somewhere. I know. And it's you funny do. though, because I'm thinking about how our last episode I gave a six to I Heart question mark. You did. And these songs are so different. I feel like, though, I would feel the same way listening to these two songs. Sure. Okay. Andrew, thank you so much for oh, joining us as a guest on T to Z. It's been an utter thrill. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, our first in-person guest. Is there anything that you'd like to share with our listeners, maybe where they could find your music? Oh, yeah. I'd be. I'd love that. I'd be honored. So I have a personal website where uh, you can stream all my music for free, and you can download it for name your price. I've got several different albums that I've made over the years. <laughs> uh, you can find it at Crazy Works, all one word, Crazy crazyworks.bandcamp.com because sometimes crazy works. You can also search my name on there on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, and the major streaming services. My albums are on there, but there's even more on the Bandcamp if you're so inclined. It would be an honor uh, and a privilege if you were to check out my music. Thank you so much. Thanks, Andrew. Woo, Andrew! Oh, uh, and if anybody listening happens to be, you know, a person who writes music or poetry (laughs) in the northern New Jersey area, come to an open mic and recognize me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for sure. We'll make you feel really at home. Do you want to shout out any locations? Starting Sunday, January 2nd, I will be uh, the co-host of the open mic night at the Fine Grind in Little Falls, New Jersey. Nice. Oh, cool. 101 Newark Pompton Turnpike uh, every Sunday from 7 to 9 p.m. Cool. Yes. Awesome. Uh-huh. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah. It's been great. Listen along with us. You can check us out on Instagram at Tay Podcast and give us all your thoughts. Do you love this song? Do you not Not love love this song? song. Do you feel like Devin? Do you love the dubstep? 
elements. Were you not sure what dubstep was before you even listened to us? Have you seen the goat music video? Oh my god, please look that up and let us know. We want to hear it all. Also, if you are so inclined, you can find us at patreon.com backslash Podcast for exclusive bonus content, including soon our ranking of all of Taylor's music videos. And you can follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this right now. And please, if you have a moment, leave us a positive five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Yes. Well, next episode, we'll be covering I Know Places from 1989. Come hang with us. I'm Devin. And I'm Gab. This has been Tay to Z. Thanks for listening. See you next time.